0: Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson.
1: I do not want to miss the peace that's available during the process. You know, I'm convinced of this. God is faithful, and He's going to get His plan accomplished, and He's going to fulfill His promises. He's going to keep His Word. I can either patiently and peacefully wait for Him to do it, or I can fret and fear And be filled with anxiety
0: Today on Back to Basics Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Genesis Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Genesis Chapters 32 through 33 In a message titled, Governed by God Now here's Pastor Brian
1: Jacob is not wrestling with a, simply with a man. We know he's wrestling with the Lord. But in many ways, Jacob had been wrestling with the Lord his whole life. In many ways, Jacob had been wrestling in in the sense that his whole life, rather than just simply yielding himself to the Lord, simply, you know, releasing everything to him and surrendering everything to him, Jacob... His whole life, he's trying to make it happen himself. And this is the very thing that God will, will finally hear break him of. You know, we have to learn this lesson and we have to understand this. God doesn't need anything that we have to offer. God doesn't choose us because we've got great talents or abilities or those kinds of things, because God doesn't need any of that. But a lot of times, we make the mistake of thinking that, you know, there's something that we have that God needs. And those who are involved actively in service to God, many have had to learn in a similar way that Jacob had to learn That all of your best ideas and all of your talents and all of your abilities and all of your charisma and all of those things, at the end of the day, God does not need any of those things. All that God is really looking for is somebody who will depend on him. The greater the dependency on the Lord, the greater the potential to be used by God. And so often it's the, the person that's, you know, the, the highly gifted and, you know, maybe intellectually or maybe just with that charismatic personality or, you know, so often those things which on the outside seem to be an asset, they, they become a deficit. They become the very thing that is hindering the work of God. They become the very thing that sometimes stumbles the person. Paul the Apostle talked about the fact that our sufficiency is of Christ. It's not of ourselves. Now, Paul was a very capable man. From the human standpoint, Paul had a lot of those kinds of qualities, but Paul learned fairly rapidly that none of those things were really the thing that God was looking for in his life. The thing that God was really looking for was surrender. Yieldedness. Dependency. Now, this so often flies right in the face of the way we are programmed to think as human beings, right? Because we are programmed to think to be independent, to be self-sufficient. From the human standpoint, those are all desirable characteristics. But... In God's economy, it's it's a different thing. God is is looking for not independence. He's looking for dependence. He's, He's looking for people that will rely on him. And we find this principle over and over again in the scripture. Because you see, we as people, being sinners like we are, we have a tendency to If we do something successful, if we do something meaningful, if we do something significant, we have a tendency to sort of take credit for it ourselves. And God doesn't appreciate that. He doesn't like that. He doesn't want us taking credit for what he does. He's not going to share his glory with men. And so he chooses the weak. He chooses the the poor. And when he does choose a a self-sufficient individual, before he can really use that person to the full potential, he has to reduce them to dependency on himself. And that's what we see with Jacob. All of these years of of self-sufficiency and independence and all of that God's bringing that to an end right here. And so Jacob cries out, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And so he said to him, the Lord speaking, he said to him, What is your name? Now, do you think that God didn't know his name? Of course, he knew his name. What God is doing here is he's soliciting a confession What is your name? Now, remember, his name is Jacob, but what does Jacob mean? His name means supplanter. You remember, he was named Jacob because he had grabbed hold of the heel of his brother when they were being born. So his name literally meant heel catcher. And the idea is that he was somebody who tripped up the other person to overtake them. And he said, Jacob, he's confessing his self-sufficiency, he's confessing his tendency to rely on himself rather than on the Lord. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled, or it could be translated, you have fought with God and with men and have prevailed. So here's where we have this this great moment of transition. Now, some have said that this was the point of Jacob's conversion, that up until this point, he wasn't really saved in the sense that we would think of a saved person. He was a, a man who knew about God and had sort of an intellectual commitment to God, but not really a heart commitment. I disagree with that. But what I do believe is, you know, here is a man who's certainly been a believer and certainly had a relationship with God, but he's not had the kind of relationship with God that he could have had, should have had, or the kind of relationship that God wanted him to have because, again, of his refusal to completely surrender. And, and this is the point in Jacob's life, I believe, where he he surrenders. He enters into now that place where God can start blessing him the way he wants to bless him. And I wonder how many people live so much of their lives in the same kind of way that Jacob did for those early years where they know the Lord, they certainly have faith in Christ, they've been born again, but they've never really come into that place of You know, surrendering to the Lord to the point where God is able to do in their lives all that He wants to do. I think there are a lot of people in that place. And you know, that's a place where you're gonna keep just butting your head against the wall over and over and over again. That's the place where you're gonna live in frustration. That's the place where you're gonna live uh, to a large degree in futility because you know, you're going to work hard and all of your efforts, you're going to spend all that energy and then you're going to find that it just really isn't going anywhere. It isn't really doing what you're thinking that it's going to do. But when you come to that place of just yielding, you come to that place of just surrendering, you come to that place of just saying, Lord, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm tired of being in charge of my life. I'm not getting anywhere. I'm making a mess of this thing. Lord, you come in and take over. That's what we're talking about here. And that's what is happening with Jacob. And so his name is changed to Israel. And then Jacob asked, saying, tell me your name, I pray. And he said, why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face and my life has been preserved. Jacob knew for certain that he had been face to face with the Lord. And so he names the place, I have seen God face to face. Now, the name Israel, there have been a lot of different Suggestions as to just what the name means, and there's a, a scholarly debate over the actual meaning of the name. Prince with God is one of the most common suggestions, but many would argue that probably a better way to understand Israel is ruled by God or governed by God, and that does seem to fit with the place that God, you know, took Jacob from. Jacob was a self-reliant, a self-governed man, even though he was a believer. But he goes from self-reliance and self-governance, he goes to being a God-governed man. And, you know, in some ways, it's, you know, you could say it's the difference in some ways, although it's hard to totally make this distinction. But in some ways, it's the difference between Jesus being simply your Savior and Jesus being your Lord. Now, in reality, if Jesus is your Savior, he is your Lord. But yet, practically speaking, it's possible, like we see with the apostles, you remember Peter said on one occasion, not so, Lord. That's a contradiction. How do you say not so, Lord? And on another occasion, Jesus said, why do you call me Lord and not do the things I say? So you see, it's possible to actually be a believer. The Lord is your Savior, but on a practical level, because you're not doing the things he says, he, he's not your Lord. But I don't think that that can go on indefinitely. God has his ways and he has his moment when he's going to bring every one of us who are really his people, he's going to bring us into that place. And maybe through a wrestling kind of an encounter, he's going to break us. He's going to humble us. And in Jacob's case here, we see he actually physically cripples Jacob. We'll talk more about this in another study in a few weeks. But You know, Jacob didn't have to end up limping the rest of his life. He forced God to deal with him in that way. And I have met many people over the years who it took some great tragedy to finally bring them to where they should have been all the while. And they go through the rest of their life, you know, sort of limping, so to speak, because they had to be broken severely. We don't have to go that route. You don't want to keep pressing your own will and put God in the position to have to cripple you. It's much, much better to just say, Lord, have it your way. You remember as God spoke through David, I think, what is it, Psalm 32, where the Lord spoke to David, and he said, David, don't be like the mule that has to be guided with a bit. But let me lead you by my eye. God doesn't want to put a bit in our mouths and have to drag us somewhere. That's a painful painful experience. He doesn't want to do that. He would much rather just simply, with a nod, say, this is where I want you to go, this is what I'd have you to do. But we're the ones who force him to have to deal with us in a more severe way when we resist, when we keep persisting in our own self-reliance and dependency. But Jacob does come to the place where he is now governed by God. And as he crossed over Penuel, the sun rose on him and he limped on his hip. Therefore to this day, little commentary here, therefore to this day, the children of Israel do not eat the muscle that shrank, which is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip in the muscle that shrank. So the Jews had a custom after that point. Now Jacob, we'll go real quickly through 33. Now Jacob lifted his eyes and looked, and there Esau was coming, and with him were 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two maidservants, and he put the maidservants and their children in front, Leah and her children behind, Rachel and Joseph last. Then he crossed over before them and bowed himself To the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. Look at that. God had already touched Esau's heart. And all of that anxiety and all of that scheming and all of that plotting and all of that worry were completely unnecessary. And isn't that the truth? So often we worry. We're fearful. We end up scheming and plotting and doing all of these things because we think that it's going to happen this way. We're not trusting God. And then we find out God's already taken care of it. You know, I do not want to miss the peace that's available during the process. You know, I'm convinced of this. God is faithful. And he's going to get his plan accomplished. And he's going to fulfill his promises. He's going to keep his word. I can either patiently and peacefully wait for him to do it, or I can fret and fear and be filled with anxiety. But, you know, I don't want to come to the other end and then see the Lord come through and go, Oh, Lord, you're so good. Oh, sorry, Lord, that I didn't believe that during the process. I want to, as much as I can, I want to believe it during the process. But I think a lot of times that's what we end up doing. And then we have all these regrets. Oh, why didn't I trust the Lord? Why didn't I just believe him? We can trust him. God had already sorted out Esau's heart. He has no animosity toward Jacob. And so he comes and he falls on him kisses him, and he lifted his eyes and saw the women and the children and said, "'Who are these with you?' So he said, "'The children whom God has graciously given your servant.' Then the maidservants came near, they and their children, and bowed down. And Leah also came with her children, and they bowed down. Afterward, Joseph and Rachel came near, and they bowed down. Then Esau said, "'What do you mean by all this company which I met?' And he said, "'These are to find favor in the sight of my Lord.' But Esau said, "'I have enough, my brother.' Keep what you have for yourself. And Jacob said, No, please. If I have now found favor in your sight, then receive my present from my hand, inasmuch as I have seen your face, as though I have seen the face of God, and you were pleased with me. Please take my blessing that is brought to you, because God has dealt graciously with me, and because I have enough. So he urged him, and he took it. Then Esau said, Let us take our journey, let us go, and I will go before you. But Jacob said to him, My Lord knows that the children are weak, and that the flocks and the herds which are nursing are with me, and if men should drive them hard one day, all the flock will die. Please let my Lord go on ahead before his servant. I will lead on slowly at a pace, which the livestock that go before me and the children are able to endure until I come to my Lord in Seir." And Esau said, now let me leave with you some of the people who were with me. But he said, what is the need? Let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. So Esau returned that day on his way to Seir. And Jacob journeyed to Sukkoth, built himself a house and made booths for his livestock. Therefore, the name of the place is called Sukkoth, which is the Hebrew for booths. And then Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan. When he came from Padan-Arab, And he pitched his tent before the city. And he bought the parcel of land where he had pitched his tent from the children of Hamar, Shechem's father, for one hundred pieces of money. Then he erected an altar there and called it El Elohi Israel, which is God, the God of Israel. And so this strategic moment in the life of Jacob. He's now come to the place, finally, of being governed by God. It is interesting, though. You remember, Abraham's name originally was Abram. Sarah's name was originally Sarai. And once God changed their names, they were never referred to by their previous name again. But here, God changes Jacob's name to Israel, but a number of times yet further on in the story, he will be referred to again as Jacob. And it's almost what what we're getting there is sort of a picture of that battle between the flesh and the spirit that we go through as well. And there's times when he's shining forth as Israel. He's the man governed by God. And then there's times when he's kind of back to the old Jacob. But in either case, he's the Lord's man. And God is faithful. And he's going to continue to bless and to bring him through. But as we close tonight, just one final word Are you governed by God? Or are you more like Jacob, self-reliant, doing it your way? You've got your agenda. You've got your plan. You've got your plots and schemes. All of those are going to end continually in frustration, futility. But the moment you come to the place of just yielding, and that's, you know, that's really it. It's just, you know, we sing that song, I Surrender All. And that's really such a key. It's just, you know, you just come to a place in life where you throw up your hands and say, Lord, I give up. I'm not going to try to push my will. I'm not going to try to you know, fulfill my plan or, or carry out my agenda. Lord, I'm, here I am. I'm surrendering to you. That's when you come to that place of being in Israel, being governed by God. But like we said earlier, don't persist to the point where God's got to cripple you. That's certainly not his first choice for you but sometimes we leave him with no other option. And then, even though we do get broken and we do begin to finally enter in and receive those blessings, we've got to limp along through life because of our stubbornness. So many lessons through the lives of these men and may God apply them by his spirit as they relate to us.
0: For the month of December, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled Beautiful People Don't Just Happen, How God Redeems Regret, Hurt, and Fear in the Making of Better Humans by Scott Sauls. Global mental health issues are on the rise. Over a billion people globally are living with anxiety or depression, especially among teens and young adults. Guilt and regret are becoming identity-defining forces. So how can we deal with this mental health crisis in our own lives and be a help in the lives of others? Well, in his book, Beautiful People Don't Just Happen, Scott Sahls presents a practical theology of suffering that will infuse your regret, hurt, and fear with a hope of gospel-saturated meaning. This book will give you the practical insights needed to find purpose in your own regrets, hurts, and fears. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com to order Beautiful People Don't Just Happen, How God Redeems Regret, Hurt, and Fear in the Making of Better Humans by Scott Sauls. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you,